You know what a divorce proves? Whose mother was right in the first place? Welcome to the Compass of Power. I'm Adam Wilson, and every week I try and take a new look at national politics from the angle of place and try and make sense of our long national spat through the eyes of history and geography. Uh, no, I don't even like that. <clears throat> Welcome to the Compass of Power. I'm Adam Wilson, and every week I take a look at our long national spat in politics through the eyes of place. Do places have eyes? Uh, not many, but you know what I mean. We're going to take to this week's news and break it down from the regional conflict perspective, and I think it makes a lot more sense than uh, trying to find logic in the policies. Today, we're going to talk about the tweet that made civil war a trending topic in America again. And let me say thank you to Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, because this is right in my wheelhouse. Thank you for elevating the topic, I guess. Listen, I already talked about this in a different episode called The New Civil War, uh, and it's a specialty here at the Compass of Power, the whole Civil War topic, and we're going to go over it again. We're going to talk about what's happening in the United States, whether it is a new civil war on the rise or in the offing, and whether, as Taylor Greene said, we need a national divorce. That's the term. Uh, first, let's go to the actual content of the tweet that filled up the talk shows for a week. She said on Monday, on Twitter, that's President's Day, quote, we need a national divorce. We need to separate by red states and blue states and shrink the federal government. Everyone I talk to says this, from the sick and disgusting woke culture issues shoved down our throats to the Democrats' traitorous America last policies. We are done. End quote. She didn't stop there. She did go, you know, to uh, keep the other side of the television machine going. She did talk to Charlie Kirk, and he asked her how the GOP could stop liberals from trying to invade our states and our counties. And here's what she had to say about that. Quote, red states can choose in how they allow people to vote in their states. What I think would be something that some red states could propose is, well, okay, if Democrat voters choose to flee these blue states where they cannot tolerate the living conditions, they don't want their children taught these horrible things, and they really change their mind on the types of policies that they support, well, once they move to a red state, guess what? Maybe you don't get to vote for five years. You can live here and you can work here, but you don't get to bring your values that you basically created in blue states that you came from by voting for Democrat leaders and Democrat policies. And obviously that set people on fire because now it was civil war plus uh, slowing down the right to vote. Um, I think Steve Colbert called that the most unconstitutional thing he's ever heard. And in an interview Tuesday night with Sean Hannity on Fox News, uh, he asked her about the, the polarization and how uh, they were under attack from the left. And uh, she said the C word. She said, the last thing I ever want to see in America is a civil war, but it's going that direction and we have to do something about it. Okay. So that's what um, Taylor Greene said. And started the whole kefleffer. And, you know, brought attention to herself, which was uh, obviously the point. Here's some of the feedback. Uh, 
the let's see, here's some headlines. I like this. I like this. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is outright talking about civil war now. Sick, divisive, alarming. White House condemns Marjorie Taylor Greene's call to split U.S. between red and blue states. Uh, the New Republic called it, quote, borderline seditious rhetoric, end quote. And that's not all. On the uh, Utah Republican side of things, which is a special brand of Republican we should talk about someday, uh, but the governor, Spencer Cox, said, quote, this rhetoric is destructive and wrong and honestly evil. We don't need a divorce. We need marriage counseling. And we need elected officials, elected leaders that don't profit by tearing us apart. We can disagree without hate. Healthy conflict was critical to our nation's founding and survival. And uh, Utah Senator Mitt Romney uh, called her divorce, quote, insanity, as in we've seen this insanity before, and uh, referred to her as the loony right. He talked about the loony left, and he said, or should I say, loony right. So people had a uh, a lot to say about what she had to say. And let's start with the question, was that Civil War-ish? You know, like, are, we, is, are things so bad that um, we should be concerned when someone's talking about Civil War that they're going to call it into being? Well, the public may be further out than mainstream politicians. I mean, there's some evidence of this. A June 2021 poll by Brightline Watch and YouGov found that 66% of Southern Republicans supported leaving the U.S. and forming a new country. That's 66% of Southern Republicans. Support was also high, however, among Democrats in the West, where 47% supported a division. So over half of Southern Republicans, uh, which would include Marjorie Taylor Greene, and 47% of Democrats in the West. I'm not sure how they defined West, though. Always ask that question. Okay, it should be noted uh, that talk about secession predated the Civil War, the actual one, the one shooting in it, uh, by decades. So we should keep in the back of our minds when, I mean, people are rightfully upset that, like, it would be tossed about because, in fact, that sort of talk usually precedes actual wars, whether you're talking about like, maybe we should go to war with Iraq, or maybe we need to have a, a national divorce. That sort of talk does predate actual conflict. And it did predate the US Civil War in the 1860s. And let's just forget about DC for a minute. Let's talk about the differences in the types of laws being debated in the US right now. And uh, think about North versus South as we go through this. Uh, in the abortion field, Democratic governors in 20 states will launch a national network aimed at boosting abortion access. It's called the Reproductive Freedom Alliance, uh, and it is uh, funded in part by the California Wellness Foundation. Meanwhile, in South Carolina, the House, the, the South Carolina House, remember we've got a House and a Senate in D.C., House and Senate at each uh, state level, most state levels. Uh, the South Carolina House passed a bill that bans abortion from conception, with exceptions for rape, incest, and fetal fetal anomaly, but from conception. Uh, meanwhile, a West Virginia is being sued for its ban on a, abortion medication by the company that makes said medication. Uh, let's look at immigration. We've got 20 Republican attorneys general are suing the Biden administration over new immigration rules. Paid leave. Illinois Governor uh, J.B. Pritzker is set to sign a bill giving workers paid time off for sicker family leave. Uh, 
The Minnesota House approved a bill providing workers with an hour of paid time off for every 30 hours they work. Meanwhile, North Dakota's Senate blocked two bills backed by the governor that would have extended paid family leave. Let's stay uh, going back to Minnesota. Let's talk sexual identity. The Minnesota House has approved a ban on so-called conversion therapy, which is uh, not, it is a significantly criticized. Like it is not seen well uh, by folks who find that uh, homosexuality is not a mental illness, and this is like a therapy that's supposed to like convert you out of it, as I understand it. So Minnesota banned that. But in Indiana, not so far away, the House Education Committee watered down legislation modeled on Florida's uh, bill that it's called the Don't Say Gay Bill. I hate that title because like it's as if that's the actual bill's intent. Um, but the practicality, and this is from the Indianapolis Star, is that the Indiana bill would require teachers to inform parents when their children change gender identities. Uh in Missouri, they have a Senate committee that approved a bill restricting gender-related care for minors. Uh, it's, again, the transgender issues. Senate committee in Arkansas says transgender people can't use a bathroom of their choice. Oklahoma Senate bans what it's called gender-affirming care, which is to uh, help you align biologically with what you think should be your gender, as I understand it. The North Dakota State House approved bills barring transgender girls and women from K-12 and college sports. Uh, Wyoming, same thing. lot of action, you will note, on one side of that issue. Uh, guns, uh, my home state, Washington, are still talking about prohibiting the sale or transfer of semi-automatic rifles. Colorado is likely to pass a bill rolling back protections against lawsuits for gun manufacturers. But in Florida, uh, the Criminal Justice Committee approved a permitless carry bill. That is no permit to carry firearms. That little tour of what's going on at the state level, I think shows you that like, it's not a war going on, right? Like they aren't raising troops. Uh, but it is a country moving in two starkly different directions. They are literally passing bills moving in different directions, banning something that is being, in, in a lot of cases, what you're seeing is conservative legislatures banning practices that are gaining momentum in liberal places. That's the polarization we talk about. But did you notice the pattern? This is where I'm going to tell you what's really going on. The compass of power is moving. And here's what I mean by that. The center of the United States population has been drifting from the north to the south, and with it goes political and economic power and cultural power. Based on the 2020 census, Texas is going to get two more seats in Congress this decade. Florida and North Carolina will each get one more. The number of seats in Congress is fixed, so who's going to lose the seats that the south is gaining? California, New York, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania will all lose seats in the House. New York used to be the most populous state. I've said this before. Back in 1960, number one state. 2010 census, it was number three. Now, it's number four. Fourth. Behind who? Florida. 
Let's just sit with that for a second. There are more people in the state with Everglades than there are in the state with the Empire State Building. The top three states in the country are California, Texas, and Florida. Those also happen to be three of the most racially and ethnically diverse states in America. But Texas and Florida are deep, deep red. They are conservative places. They are Republican places. Why? Again, I think it's pretty simple. They are Southern places. Right now, today, Southernism, Republicanism, conservatism are merged. What it means to be any one of those three is just about the same as it is to be any of the other two. Likewise, to be liberal, especially to be what's called progressive, to be a Democrat and to be Northern, those are all lined up. And in a democracy, we all support democracy, I hope, the power comes from the people and the people are moving south. That's creating this seismic shift in our politics because people don't usually bring their politics with them. They adapt to their political environment. Think about it. Has a surging population made Texas liberal? Has it turned Washington state red? No. I remember in the 1990s, I lived in Idaho, and they were convinced that all the Californians moving in were going to turn the state blue. And that was before they called Democratic states blue. It didn't happen. What this shift in the center of population has done is make people like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee, national Republican figures. And it's made people like Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer and New York Governor Kathy Hochul household names, if your household is especially liberal. Now, whenever we talk about North versus South, we have a a slight problem. The West was not actually like fully integrated into U.S. government and politics at the time of the Civil War. They weren't states, uh, most of them. Today, we see a pattern, though, in which the existing dry West states, the states that uh, basically require irrigated farming, are part of the Southern Coalition. Think Arizona, Nevada, Wyoming, the Dakotas. The West Coast, meanwhile, was founded by Yankees, descendants of the Puritan culture of New England. They settled the port cities of the West Coast, giving us the modern blue states of California, Oregon, and Washington. That's why dry Western states like North Dakota are looking to bar transgender people from both K-12 and college sports. And that's why coastal Western states like California have some of the most restrictive firearm regulations in the nation. With that geography in mind, I think the whole 
national divorce kerfluffle makes more sense. First, why would a member of Congress talk openly about splitting up the country? The answer is to look where she's from. Marjorie Taylor Greene is from northern Georgia, the Appalachian section of Georgia. I think we talk about Appalachians in every single episode of this podcast because they're having a moment right now. They've spent a long time as the redheaded stepchildren of American culture. Uh, hillbillies, rednecks, you know the type. They have a, a long history of being belittled. But the Appalachians are dominant along the mountains from which they get their name, and they stretch far into the north as well as the south. They're essentially a warrior culture, as I always say, founded by refugees from the border wars of England, Scotland, and Ireland in the 18th century. And they're less committed to social hierarchy than the deep south. They are also less concerned with moral aspirationalism than the Yankees. What they really care about is fighting off outsiders. Uh, in general, they don't like intrusions, and they love winning above all. As you've heard me say before, I think it was Donald Trump's instinct to motivate that group with his tough talk and belligerent style that allowed him to win the White House. He carried the South and key northern states like Wisconsin. Green is from that culture, and she's playing by that cultural rule book. She's already known for grabbing headlines and thereby, thereby raising her profile and money, the same style that Donald Trump had. Uh, I've heard this criticized lately as small donors. You know, the problem is that we don't have big money giving to people. We have small money. Uh, but the way that often works is that someone who is on the far extreme of an issue will get small donations who feel the same way, from people across the country. Even if they aren't in your area, you found someone who's championing your cause, so you throw them five bucks, and that can add up to big money, national money going into a local race. Simply by irritating everyone, Green is showing her hometown voters that she is doing what she was elected to do, and that was tell everybody else where they can stick it. The national divorce comment specifically is designed to get attention released on President's Day for a reason. But by framing it as a way to protect her people from the malicious influence of Northerners, aka liberals, wokeism, she remains in a fairly safe spot with her constituents. Never forget that virtually the entire nation's media complex is based in New York City and Hollywood, California, neither of which is very friendly towards Appalachia or the Deep South. It doesn't mean everyone from Appalachia is ready to break up the union or say crazy things. It just means that if you are a elected official from Appalachia, you can be both a safe politician and the loudest voice on these sorts of topics. Second, why all the sound and fury about the tweet from a known attention seeker? Did you know that when Taylor Greene said that we need a national divorce, everyone knew it implied breaking along the North and South lines again? Even though the national pundit machine does not tend to look at things as a North versus South issue, the map of red states and blue states very clearly tells us that talking about separating by those code words means the same thing as separating along 1861 lines. MSNBC's Morning Joe, host Joe Scarborough, who is from Georgia and Florida, called the blue states donor states to red states. He was singling out the likes of West Virginia and Texas and saying those are the places that liberal states take care of. Another way of saying that is rich, prosperous Yankees have floated your lazy, poor southern butts long enough. This would not be such an issue if the North were indisputably in control. If there was no threat you don't get as excited. However, 
the national government has been steadily slipping away from the North for more than a generation now, going back to the 1960s. After the Civil Rights Act, the Southern elite abandoned the Democratic Party over the course of the generation. The 1994 Republican Revolution was led by Georgian Appalachian Newt Gingrich, and that brought the eventual presidency of Texan George Bush, whose wars laid the groundwork work for Barack Obama of Illinois to win. And uh, that in turn set up the revenge of the deplorables with Trump's win in 2016. That seesaw balance of power towards the South is getting stronger. It's swinging back and forth like a pendulum, but every census shows more and more people moving past the Mason-Dixon line into the South. And that is how you get the kind of political anxiety that everyone was weighing in on because you people are worried about comments like Greens. Uh, a lot of people look at the January 6th storming of the Capitol as either a failed attempt by the South to overthrow the government or, less radically, a test case for how detached from reality social media-based conservatism has become. It is very clearly uh, Exhibit A for a lot of folks uh, that there is some reality behind comments about a national divorce. All right. Third, the compass of power explains Green's whole wait to vote concept that she is floating that also irritated people. Just like my Idaho neighbors 30 years ago, plenty of Southerners feel that the influx of people from the outside is going to make their communities in the mold of wherever those folks are coming from. A. As I've already said, that doesn't happen. Always, always think about place in politics. You have to ask yourself, who is leaving the blue states for the South? Are they Harvard-educated socialists from Boston? I don't think that's likely. Just as a lot of people leaving California for Idaho in the 90s were not exactly the most liberal people in California, the people packing up from West Virginia or Michigan for Florida may not be the most politically progressive that you could get out of those states. Uh, they may not be moving out of, say, New York City or Madison, Wisconsin, is my point. You're not get, you may not necessarily be getting liberal people moving into the South. But B, think about place when we talk about where they move. Are they moving into the suburbs in the South, or are they moving into the relatively small downtowns of the relatively few large cities in the South? Think of Austin, Texas. By Southern standards, a very liberal city. And it is growing, and that does mean more liberal people in Texas, because you adapt to where you live. Austin, however, is the exception in Texas. It is not big enough on its own to turn Texas blue. Green is from Georgia, which is dominated by Atlanta. And two things there, Atlanta is big enough to tip Georgia blue, and Atlanta has a long-standing, hard-working underclass in its black voters who have always opposed the ruling class of the South. To be clear, there are black Republicans and there are Republicans in Atlanta. However, if Georgia's economic growth means that there are proportionately more people in Atlanta than in the country, then the underclass will build and oppose the elite more effectively. That is why critics pointed out Green's own state might be counted as one of the blue states that she was angry about, given that it has two Democratic senators. And that is why Green is ready to talk about making people wait to vote and complaining about people moving from blue states to red states, then seeming to want to turn the red states blue. That does appear to be happening in Georgia. 
And that is the most important thing I can think about when I think about the future of liberalism in the United States. There is the potential that continued economic growth in the South will mean that the underclass, the people who are punching up now, will grow in strength and number insufficiently to take over large parts of the South. And their liberalism will be different from Yankee liberalism. But again, that's because they would be adding strength to Southern liberalism, not importing Northern liberalism. In the meantime, however, the elites aren't going anywhere without a fight, right? There is the potential that continued economic growth in the South will mean that the underclass, the people who are punching up now, will grow in strength and number sufficiently to take over large parts of the South. And their liberalism will be different from Yankee liberalism. This is not a case of importing Yankee liberalism. It's a case of adding numbers to Southern liberalism. In the meantime, the elites in the South aren't going to go without a fight. And Appalachians like Green, as we've already said, were born fighting. So let's bring it home. What should we make of this national divorce comment if we look at it from the perspective of the compass of power? The traditional thing for people to do uh, who are not of the screaming left or the screaming right, the sage moderates that I've read, like to end their columns with, we need to calm things down. Less social media, more town hall meetings. Let's talk to each other. I'm not going to offer retrograde advice. Instead, I will share some advice I once read in a book regarding marriages and divorce. The first step in avoiding divorce is admitting that it's a possibility. If you don't accept that, if you say, I will never do it, you've narrowed your options dramatically. You've stopped imagining that you could be okay on your own, and you are equating divorce with death because it cannot happen. You cannot continue if it happens. And if you say that you will never get divorced, you've made the other person's behavior your only path to survival. It's all in their hands. Bad move. The best thing to do is to know you're going to be okay on your own. Have that confidence first. Then you can negotiate. Right now, Greenside is actually losing. That's why they're talking the way they are. They'd rather break up than continue the relationship as the junior partner. Those of us on the Democratic side, the Northern side, which would include myself, should not be acting terrified of that position in public. It's perfectly just to oppose the idea for good reasons. It is a bad idea. However, the opposition that I heard was mostly, how dare she talk that way? How dare she even mention it? It's totally unacceptable that anyone in an elected office should talk that way. I think that we should instead offer reasons why that is a bad idea. And we should be asking ourselves in private, if I were losing, would I be talking that way? If Green becomes Donald Trump's vice presidential running mate, as some people think she will, like that's what this is about, will we be okay with her as the actual vice president? What if Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is the Republican nominee? Will we threaten to move to Canada if he wins? What I'm getting at here is that we have to imagine a future where bad things happen. You have to contemplate the worst and imagine surviving it. In that way, we can build a future that isn't actually that bad. All right, that's my take. Thanks for tuning in. Sorry I wasn't here last week. I had this whole bit on Nikki Haley. 
uh, that just wasn't up to my standards. And that is saying something, people, because it's not, as you can tell, my standards aren't like sky high. Nonetheless, I decided to forego it, and we're going to come back to Nikki Haley in the future. You can always check out my website, uh, www.compassofpower.com. Please tell your family, tell your friends. Uh, I think this is a great way to understand and rationalize politics to a degree. See you next week.